Welcome to Revere Assets, Your Money, with Danny Stewart. You never know how far the stock is going to go down. Tim Razor. Danny knows I'm a geek for all of this stuff. And Don Vandenborg. Telling it like it is. If you're seeking the best stock knowledge this side of Wall Street, you've come to the right place. I'm sorry, did I steal your stuff? No, you didn't steal any thunder. Who's handling this segment? (laughs) For the next hour, Danny, Tim, and Don will be talking investing. Investing is 90% psychological, and I love that. Trades. The market will usually overshoot to the downside and to the upside. And dumpster fires. Because it doesn't matter what you think or what I think, and it matters even less what Danny thinks. And now, here's your hosts... Danny, Tim, and Don. Don thinks he knows why many dividend staple stocks are not performing well, and I agree with him. And his big brain Mike's fundamental analysis bearing fruit are the technicals confirming to buy. We're going to talk about that. And then T-bills, you know, short-term T-bills versus long-term treasury bills. Which should you pick? That's in the show notes. That's an article I pulled up. And the article, it even admits that timing is important, even in bonds. And then economic data points diverge. Which which one? A shallow V or deep V? That's a good article you can read. And then the estate planning clock is running out. If you've got an estate problem or your wills or revocable living trust are not updated, and if you need more complex planning, then call me. And lastly, in the mailbag, we... Uh, a client and a listener sent me an article about how to avoid cashier check scams. There's a lot of them. First of all, you can just not, not accept cashier checks. But if you do, you got to be very, very careful because they can raid your bank account. Anyway, that's, that's actually put out by Schwab. And so we're going to talk about all those things. And we're really going to dive deep on why the dividend stocks are struggling and why and, and, and the fundamentals that Mike was looking at a couple months ago on the show. He brought up a sector that was really looked good. And now it looks like actually other people are starting to notice. But before we do all that and before we go to the markets. The reason we're doing this show on Thursday morning, the reason we're doing this show early is Revere Asset Management is moving. We're moving offices. We're going to start bugging out tomorrow, Friday, and we got to be out of here by Wednesday. And oh yeah, there we go. There you go, Zach. Let me see here. Uh, Anyway, anyway, we're and, and so we're gonna we're gonna be pretty busy. We're trying to coordinate all the all the stuff that goes with that. But I wanted to pay homage, 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 homage to Don. How do you say that? Uh, homage, homage, homage. Yeah. Like, okay. Just like you did, Dan. You, you go through three of them. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, anyway, um, I wanted to go back and, and pay homage to the. Uh, founding of Revere, which actually was previous to Revere with my old two partners. I spun off. I bought them out in 2016. Don and I formed Revere. We legally changed the name and the founding. But the show before that was called the Wall Street Shuffle right there. That's right. Dan and I, the other Dan, the other Dan who's passed away, rest his soul, uh, did this show. And it was kind of a political and financial show. 
So it was kind of like uh, a prepper meets uh, Louis Rukeyser. And so it was kind of interesting. It was politics, uh, uh, finance, economics, and investing. It was kind of a, but then it morphed and slowly we kind of parted ways. He did more political and I did all investing. And that's how uh, the um, Your Money Radio uh, was born. So anyway, I just wanted, but as I was cleaning out the office, I found these old posters and these old things set up. So I thought I'd put them up there. And oh, oh, don't forget, there's my shirt. Oh, yeah. That's the black helicopter. They Dan Kofal. are listening. Are and you? Then, and there's the back of it. The Wall Street Shuffle. Yep. On 1190 AM. And, and by the way, folks, for anybody that has seen that old show, if you're a very, very large person, which Dan Kofal was, we've got about Six or eight, <laughs> double X, I mean, triple, They're like four X, and he actually o- ordered a couple five X yeah, shirts. We three, four, so we've got a few X's. massive, massive shoes. It could be uh, used as a parachute too. But if if hey, you now. if anybody wants those extra shirts, we do have a, a couple extra for someone yeah, that's, that's nice. um, um, very portly. In any event, let's go to directly to the markets. And I want, and by the way, those articles I was talking about, they're all in the show notes. You can just go and uh, they'll be at the bottom of the show. Um, I want to go to Don and I'm going to, I'm going to, we got a couple uh, uh, emails in the mailbag besides that article on um, um, check scams, the cashier's checks. And they're kind of, they're kind of opposites each other. They're, uh, you know, two sides of the same coin. And so I'm going to read both of these and then I'll let, I'll go to the markets, let Don kind of put this in his, uh, however he wants to in his show. So this is on 9-11. This is earlier in the week. Okay. I've been watching your videos for a while and really appreciate all you do. NVIDIA was such a strong stock and now it seems to be hitting lots of headwinds and cannot make any progress. What are your thoughts on NVIDIA? Me. Great question. Thanks for listening and watching our content. Uh, We will discuss on the air. Uh, uh, and I was, and then I answered, uh, so I was going to say, so Don is NVIDIA, uh, done or is there room to go? Uh, but let's wait. Cause I got another question also on nine 11. This is MJ, not Michael Jordan. This is MJ. And he says, Dan and Don, I want to get into Celsius, but I'm having di- difficulty trying to find an entry as it is so extended. Do you have any advice? MJ, that's a great question. We will discuss on the air. Thanks for listening and watching our content. So, Don, you have a leader that appears to be struggling. And again, this is the beginning of the week. That may have changed. But you have a, a leader that appears to be struggling and then one that's rocking and too extended. So how would you handle each of those? And then you can go straight to the markets. Sure. Let's let's start with NVIDIA first. and. I wouldn't say it's struggling as much as I would say it's basing. Uh, It is holding the red line here, that's the 50-day moving average, and it's traded in a tight range for the last six days. Let's bring up a 30-minute chart on here, and you can see how tight the action uh, has been on on this, between basically between 442 and 460. For the last six days, that's including today's action. Yes, it did have a little bit of a gap down here uh, on the 7th, but uh, holding the 50-day moving average every time it gets near that level, that's the red line again on this chart, it's bouncing. It's doing basically what the NASDAQ 100 and the S&P 500 are doing. 
go to a 30 minute chart here on uh, the NASDAQ 100. You can see that's just been going sideways uh, to a little bit higher. I drew some on a 60 minute chart and on a daily chart, I drew, drew some triangles and talked about the trading ranges uh, that these uh, indexes, the S&P stack have been in. Uh, that's the NASDAQ 100. Let's go to the S&P. Really, um, NVIDIA, it's holding the 50-day moving average. Stocks don't go straight up all the time. They're entitled to back and fill a little bit. Uh, NVIDIA had a, a, a gap up and then a reversal on its earnings, but it didn't break down. It seems like uh, maybe some shares are being from weaker hands to stronger hands. From a fundamental standpoint, uh, NVIDIA has never really been in a better position with it being the premier uh, chip manufa uh, manufacturer and uh, designer and, um, well, they're, they're not the manufacturer. Taiwan Semiconductor actually makes the chips for them, but uh, it's their designs and it's their products that are at the forefront of the AI movement. So um, as long as this holds and doesn't substantially break down below the 50-day moving average, uh, we're keeping it. We've um, trimmed a couple of positions that we had when we had the negative reversal on the earnings. Uh, and then we just added some back this week, cut and reclaim day moving average. Ideally, we want to see it get above uh, the 21 day moving average, which is around 461. Uh, so right now it's just trading tightly uh, in line with the market. Celsius uh, is also something that uh, we got shaken out of before it made its big run. And we've been looking for a prime opportunity to get in since it did its earnings gap. And we just bought a small position on that this week. And one way to sneak into uh, stocks that are strong leaders is to wait for the 60-minute stochastic uh, hookup. It's, a, it's not guaranteed, but it's a low-risk entry. And we got that uh, on the 12th. Tuesday of this week, and we took a small 1% position there. Coinciding with that, we want to make sure that the price is close enough to the 21-day moving average that a 2ATR move wouldn't get us stopped out. So we do two things. One, size down because it's extended. Two, make sure that it's within two of the 21 uh, exponential moving average check that box too. And three, look for that 60-minute stochastic cross. Um, we didn't go back up as high as we wanted to, obviously. In fact, it looks like, looks like it might be tested it again, but all it's doing is getting closer to the 21 and it allows us to little by little build in this. Uh, I realize it's extended. I realize we, we caught some of the move early. We missed already the move on this, uh, back here when it broke back below the 50 day moving average. But uh, very clearly a leader, great fundamentals, gaining market uh, share. Uh, it's crossed over and the ladies are drinking it too. Great product. Uh, and that's a, a tool to get in to a leading stock. Uh, we've done it several times. They don't always work. Uh, but uh, if, they, if it doesn't work and we fully understand that half of our trades won't work, it's the half that work and uh, give us more than what we lose on the ones where we get stopped out that allow us to uh, be profitable. So that's the approach we take with those two. Currently, they just are kind of a little bit different cycle in their in their own you know behavior. Each each stock has a little bit of its own own um, personality, if you will. But 
within that, you've got definite patterns that repeat among the various stocks. And so they're just different times in their cycle. Is that kind of a fair assessment? It is. It is. And going back to the chart of Celsius, something I want to pull out, uh, point out here. If you, if you uh, didn't get this on the gap up, uh, look at where the relative strength line was on the first gap up. We're talking about uh, in May of this year. So let's say you buy the gap up. All you did is get market returns during that holding period because look where the relative strength line went before it went to its next earnings uh, report. So the only time you've made substantial money on this is if you've been holding it into the big earnings gaps. Now, a little bit of a change in behavior where the relative strength line after its prior earnings gap up just stayed in line with what it was doing. Since this second gap up, uh, the relative strength line has been outperforming the S&P 500. So um, really this was the key day here where it broke above this little range after uh, it had its earnings move up. And so so really the, the premier entry point was a little bit above there, so a little bit about above 185. Uh, otherwise, um, you know, look at, there's just a lot of chop in here. We're smart enough or uh, were enough of a believer to have it into earnings. You took advantage of the earnings gap here and the earnings gap here. But during the holding period, since that, like I said, between those two big earnings moves, all you did is get market return. So you didn't miss anything if you didn't get it then. So changing character that it's outperforming the market on a relative basis now. And that's always something we want to eye on. Okay. And so how, how do you hold into earnings? When do you hold into earnings? Uh, well, what we do is we, we have a rule for earnings. Uh, we don't want to lose more than, uh, at the most, 1% of, of the total portfolio value if we would uh, get hit on a negative earnings report. So when, right before earnings come out, there's something called the market maker move, uh, and that is the expected move plus or minus as a stock goes into earnings. So we look at that market maker move, multiply it by two, and look at that as a worst case scenario to the downside. And then we just make sure that the size that we're holding uh, doesn't put us outside that threshold where we would lose more than 1% uh, on a stock in case it had a, a massive gap down. Uh, I, we, we, earnings are very clearly a, a, um, uh, a binary event, but it, we don't take the tack that we need to sell everything just because something is going into earnings because the best movers will go through a couple of earnings cycles they'll gap up and you'll get to take advantage of those uh very similar to with nvidia we had to put in uh, back here which we bought and we're able to take advantage of this next earnings gap uh and, and again if you bought it then look at the relative strength line all it did after its first earnings gap is perform along with the market uh, along the way. So if you had it here, uh, the earnings gap up where it was up 25% was where you made the majority of the gains. If you were in it while it was riding up higher, the relative strength line was going up along with it. But, uh, and then of course, and then since its second earnings gap, it uh, gapped into this 500 level, had a negative reversal. It's been showing uh, subtle negative uh, or relative weakness as it pulls back to the 50-day moving average. But this is normal. It's, uh, it looks like it's trying to form the base. Um, like I said, hasn't broken down, did poke its head below the 50-day moving average back here, but held this 400 level, 
400 was a big supply uh, area, uh, support and resistance area from back here after it gapped up. So there's different levels that you need to keep an eye out uh, for NVIDIA. They've never been in a better position fundamentally, but stocks often top on fundamentals. And if this would top and need to form a base, I wouldn't be concerned unless it broke below 400, which was the prior uh, support resistance level. For the new buys that we made, we're using the lows of this week as uh, uh, we'll pull the parachute if it substantially breaks below there. Uh, but the market is having a decent day today. We had a, despite some negative um, numbers in the CPI and PPI reports over the last two days, the market seems to be taking it in stride. Uh, I pointed out on the indexes uh, in last night's video that we were looking for, all we've been doing uh, is trading in an 11-day range. And I drew these lines in last video, and we've broken out of that triangle to the upside today. So if we hold that, uh, the next level we want to keep our eye on is uh, right below 44.50 here, so maybe around 45.40, which is the top of this current trading range that we've been in since we had that follow-through day uh, on the 20s. So markets uh, don't go up. They can do one of three things. They can be trending lower, trending higher, or going sideways, preparing for the next trend up or trend down right now. Uh, we've been in an 11-day sideways consolidation, but we did break out of this triangle within the larger consolidation. So we're looking for, uh, obviously, the bulls who want to break above 45.40 here uh, and, and test through this trading range. And incidentally, that trading range was topped uh, on the first when NVIDIA's uh, earnings report came out. That was what, uh, there was some euphoria off of that, but that could put the current top into the market right now. Yeah, it was sold off pretty quick after that. <laughs> Same day. Right. Dan, you want me to talk about the uh, weakness in uh, some of those certain sectors and what we've uh, been well, yeah, at? So, we so, segue into that now? So, no, so we were, we were look, I'm going to definitely give you credit for We were talking about this a couple of days ago, and you came up with a, a pretty strong high thought. I mean, other people, I mean, we've been talking about it, but why do you think the dividend stocks, the staples, were normally defensive dividend payers where people just buy it for income. Why do you think they're struggling and not doing well? Well, first let's take a look at, um, this is the S and P 500 and the 11 spider sectors. We, uh, as you know, we, uh, update these every night on, uh, the tail of the tape when I go through the nightly videos and not surprisingly, the ones that are leading at the top are XLC, K, and Y. Those are the tech sectors. I call them Chucky. Uh, and the question is, okay, so that's year to date. Let's let's look at a couple of inflection points throughout the date here, or for uh, throughout the year. Let's uh, turn the clock back to 3:29/2023. This is when we had the uh, the March follow through day, and you would expect tech to lead. Tech leads up, it leads down. Uh, and that's what we're seeing here. Again, C, K, and Y, but add in energy uh, as uh, that started uh, back at the end of May, the beginning of June to start taking a leadership role as the, as the price of oil went higher. So the question is, we expect those to lead, but why are staples, real estate, utilities uh, so weak? And 
this is since the follow through day. There's always strength and there's and there uh, there's always leaders and there's always weakness. But we, the latest pullback, the market topped on uh, 727 2023. So let's go to that part. So while the market's pulling back, normally defensive sectors outperform. But here are the performance of the 11 sectors in the S&P 500 since this pullback. We already talked about how energy uh, was leading. But look what's lagging. Staples, if you're pulling back, you would expect uh, staples to be down less because it's a defensive sector and uh, that's where money flows into. But staples down almost 4%, real estate down 3%, utilities down 3.1%, uh, energy leading, we already addressed that. Those three sectors though, pay the highest dividend yields. Uh, why wouldn't money flow into them for safety? And a hypothesis I came up with is, why would you put your money, one of the reasons traditionally that people go into those is for the yield. So let's take a look a, a look at the yield of XLP, this the staple sector. It's 2.6%. You're getting T-bills now. You're getting over 5%. Here's the real estate sector, 3.8%. T-bills are more than that. Let's look at XLU utilities, 3.2%. Why would you take the risk of these uh, stocks when you can put your money into the safety of treasuries and get the guaranteed return with no loss of principal. Look at the relative strength line on utilities uh, throughout the entire year. It's going straight down. Let's take a look at uh, the relative strength line on staples. Same situation, heading lower. Let's take a look at the relative strength line. I think you know where I'm going here uh, on real estate. It's going lower. The three highest yields, what normally would be a place for safety to go to and what you would expect to be outperforming uh, over the last uh, month when the market topped, current the current top that it put in in uh, late July, but those defensive sectors have been lagging. Why, why take the stock risk uh, to get the dividend when you, you, can, you can go into risk-free T-bills and collect over 5%? So that was my... Uh, that's my theory anyway. We don't do a lot of investing in staples, utilities, and real estate because we're looking for something that's going to do twice of what the S&P 500 is going to return. And the only time that these typically do that is when you're getting extremely defensive, uh, like during the bear market. But during the bear market, uh, the yields were on T-bills were still low enough that uh, you could stay in the safety of these uh these sectors. It wasn't until the, the yield start of uh, T-bills started getting over 4% that you saw uh, money outflows from these quote-unquote defensive sectors. So uh, regardless, like I said, we don't invest very often in those sectors. We don't think they're going to, unless they're set up to the situation where they can do double what the S&P, but if that's happening, the S&P is most likely in a downtrend and we can make money with a better return in using inverse ETFs. Uh, as either a hedge or uh, a directional trade. So, well, well, so, so I want to jump in. So, number one, your your hypothesis is absolutely right because normally, folks, risk free is going to be treasury bonds or CDs or something like that, and then and those are usually two, three, four percent, or in a real like a normal. Well, it's not normal now, but in when you have normal rates like the average year thirty year treasury rate is a little close. It's closer now than it used to be. Two years ago, it was artificially low, but to, to those staples Don's talking about and the consumer staples in the real estate, those normally pay 
four or five percent and and but they're they're paying a little higher than treasuries but they carry a little more risk and so to get that extra yield you take a little more risk well now you can get much higher yields with treasuries with no risk so why do you do that that's the same thing with the banks that's why the the regional banks are so much in trouble because their savings accounts and their cds are paying less than treasury bonds and so they can't push sell their products. So the regional, the banking is in trouble because of this inverted yield curve by the Fed. And so is uh, dividend and co- the, the stocks that, that rely on cash flow and yield. And that's what an inverted yield curve does. It hurts the economy. People start constricting and taking money out of the private sector and putting in the government treasury bonds. And so it takes liquidity out of the market. Anyway, we'll see what happens with the ramifications of that longer term. But the main point is right now, you don't really probably want to be in Staples uh, just for the dividend. You got to have a much better reason than that. All right, Don, go ahead. Sorry. Just wanted to. Yeah, let's uh, let's take it over to the guys and uh, their presentation uh, for this week. We'll start off with uh, Connor and. Take it away, Connor. What do you got for the crowd here today? Yeah, so before I get into the presentation I had for today, I just wanted to talk about what Dan mentioned earlier. And this article is going to be in the show notes, but I came across a pretty interesting uh, article on uranium last night. And Michael, he covered uranium a couple weeks ago and just was talking about his bullish thesis and, and why he liked it. And one of the main reasons he liked it was um, based on the supply, because because the primary supply is 150 million pounds for 2024, while the primary uh, demand is about 190 million pounds. So that's one of the bull cases. But basically, just to summarize this article real quick, it was it was written by someone that was at the World Nuclear Association conference in London, which consists about like 750 industry experts. And uh, the guy wrote that about 99% of them seemed oblivious to the potential squeeze of supply as there's never been a deficit supply with uranium. And majority of the attendees were short. And that caught him hugely off guard because he's extremely bullish uranium. And if you look at the price action of CCJ, URNM, um, the fundamentals definitely match up the price. So. It's it's a really good article. I just summarize it very briefly, but it's a quick read and, and a lot of a lot of good nuggets in there. Uh, by, by by the way, just to clarify, uh, Michael actually did a, a a thing on uranium fundamental thing a couple months ago, and then he did a follow up just a couple weeks ago because it looked like it was starting to become interesting. The price started moving a lot more. Anyway, go ahead, Connor. Yeah. So today I wanted to highlight five of the best performing mid-large cap stocks this year. And when they broke out, where was the NASDAQ? Um, I, th- I think a big common misconception with Canslim is many people fail to recognize that one of the most important pieces of this, of that is the M and that's market direction. And you know, no matter how good a stock chart looks, how good the story is, how good the fundamentals are, if you don't have the market win behind your back, then it's not going to have good probabilities of working out. And that what leads to people who try cancel them in a bad market. They say it doesn't work because they're trying to buy gross stocks in, in a bad market when 
everyone knows this is a timeless strategy for finding the, the strongest stocks in the market. Um, so yeah, so first chart, this is SMCI. It broke out on May 3rd, coming out of a well-established base on massive volume, and this was a positive earnings gap. And so it went from 120s all the way to 360 before ever before closing below the 21 EMA, and that was after that nasty earnings gap down. And Don, if you pull up the chart of the Qs. Uh, your chart or just... Or just uh... Yeah, my chart. Oh, okay. Yeah, and then, so this is the chart of the NASDAQ, the day that SMC, SMCI broke out. And you can see that black line. That's the day that SMCI broke out. And you can see the Qs were trending above the 8, 21, and 50 day. The 8 was trading above the 21, and they're both sloping up. So that just tells you that SMCI went, went on a huge run, but it also had the market win behind its back. The next one is, you can go to the third chart, Don. This one's DraftKings. This stock is up 171% year to date, and it broke out on April 18th after it bounced off the 50-day and then got above an upward sloping 8 and 21 EMA. Um, and this went on an 80% run before breaking the 21-day on volume. So two charts in and two common characteristics is you need market one behind your back. And the second is um, the best stocks just surf the moving averages up. DraftKings went nearly 80% before violating the 21. So if you employ simple sell rules, um, you can keep you can stay in, in uh, winners longer because you never know how high they can go up. And when DraftKings broke out on April 17th, the Qs had been trending above the 8 and 21. And they had one minor shakeout, but it never even broke the 50-day. So once again, the market win was behind your back. And then the last one is BLDR. This was a big group move. This was Home Builders. This stock's up well over 100% year-to-date. As this one was breaking out, there was a ton of other Home Builders um, in, in the sector breaking out. So uh, the price action was leading you to the sector. But this one broke out on January 24th. You can see that was a huge long consolidation. Um, it, it, it bounced off the 50 day and then it got above an upward sloping 8 and 21 EMA. And as you can see, once it broke out, it surfed the moving averages and trended higher pretty much the whole way until it had a violation of the 8 and 21 on volume and had more than one consecutive close below the 50 day. And that's when the market was turning around. Um, and yeah, so if you pull up the queues on January 24th, that next chart, the queues had just started turning up. So although the queues didn't look great, um, they were above an upward sloping 8 and 21 and they just and they started to slope up. So you could, when you see that, you could uh, start adding exposure and stuff. And basically some key takeaways from looking at these is that the best swing trading environment occurs when the NASDAQ is trending above the eight and 21 day um, with the eight above the 21 day. And I'm using the NASDAQ for this example, just because this is probably the, the tech uh, heavy ETF and it's the most risk on. Um, 
over the spy and, and the Dow Jones. Um, and in a, in a weak market, A plus setups are going to be more faulty prone and sit out power and patience are extremely underrated skills because at the end of the day, the a good swing trading environments can occur once, twice, three times a year. So your job is to be able to be ready and, uh, and take advantage of that when that occurs. Yeah, good stuff. That's something we've been harping on uh, lately. And I, I drew the same line for the Qs last night that I drew for the S&P 500. And uh, we're breaking out through that triangle uh, right now. So the question is, is it a real move? Is it a false move? But one thing I want to point out with this is Jason, Jason Shapiro is a big uh, contrarian trader. And with the, uh, the, the PPI and CPI reports were not all glowing. And it would not have been a surprise if uh, we pulled back a little bit based on that, but we're not. So this is uh, one of his trading uh, mantras is when news doesn't do what it should do, go in the direction of what, um, what the reaction uh, is, not what you think should be, should be done. So um, a news failure to the downside is uh, the point that I'm trying to make here. Thanks, Connor. Uh, let's go to Ted, not Teddy 10 charts or 11 charts today, but we got a little something different. Ted, you want to, uh, take it away? Yes, sir, Don. Um, so today I wanted to talk about, uh, my trading journal. And so from studying previous market wizards, they all emphasize that we must first track our trades, which is a different process than what I'm showing today. And as well as journaling your thoughts, because I want to start off with this Aristotle quote, and he said, "An unexamined life is a life not worth is, not, is a life not worth living." So, to improve as a trader, to know our tendencies, emotions, and our actions, and to improve, we must journal everything so we can reflect back, look back at what we did, and perhaps find out why we did them. And so, the current state of my journal is a product of probably ten plus iterations over the last year. Um, Again, the purpose of my journal is for me to interrogate my emotions, thoughts, and actions. And overall, it is to help me understand what I, what I am doing and then perhaps why I am doing it. And like I said before, the beginning of progress is, is awareness. And so in the pre-market, and as you can see in my trading journal, I've, I have a bunch of quotes scattered around just to give me some re reminders throughout the trading day. Um, that's just something I personally like to do. Um, in the pre-market, the first thing I'll do is write a couple sentences for myself to set an intention for the day. And so what I said today was, I'll live and die by my plan. Absolutely no, just this one-time moments, which pretty much means breaking discipline. Um, I also said, if, I, if it's not on my focus list, then I can't, it can't be acted on. It means I didn't catch it and I must improve my process next time. And then finally, have contingency plans for all my current positions and focus on what I can control. So that's like an intention I set for myself for today. And I pretty much just journal whatever I feel like is important for the trading day ahead. And so the next section is personal trading model. And this is some, something I kind of created for myself and it oscillates from red. So I'll highlight that row red. And that indicates for me that I wanna be trading very lightly because I'm not getting good feedback. The indexes might not be acting healthy as well as the stocks. It can be orange. So I'm, I am getting some feedback. The market is relatively healthy, so I can start taking some positions and have like a medium level exposure, um, or it can be green. 
And that to me means that I should get aggressive with larger overall exposure and position sizing. Um, and then going on, there's a concept called the bolded pivot. And if you guys aren't familiar, there's a, there's a trading education company called trader lion, and they have these proprietary levels based on their algorithm. So it's just another level I track for the S and P 500. And then I'll note down some of my own thoughts about the markets as well. And then the second thing I do in the morning is review my current portfolio positions in my plan where the stop loss is maybe perhaps where I'll scale some out or scale some into strength where I'll potentially take profits. And then finally, I'll review my focus list that was generated the day before. It should have its pivot point, position sizing, and stop loss all predetermined from the night before. So continue on during market hours. Um, of course, like I said before, I want to execute by my plan and stay disciplined and patient. Um, and then I'll note any actions to take, for example, bought Amazon through 140 with the stop at 133. Um, and then finally, I'll journal my thoughts and emotions, for example. Started feeling some fear when X start X stock started reversing on me. Um, we're, we're definitely going to have emotions. We're human, but awareness of them and cultivating the ability to not let them control our rational decisions is key in trading. So after when the market closes, I'll do some post trade analysis based off my market hour notes and just like what I just reflecting back on my actions and thoughts during the markets. Again, this part has a bunch of quotes scattered around because my opinion is the most important part of my, my post-trade analysis is to reflect on what I did well and then what I need to improve on. Um, and obviously trading is definitely sometimes can be emotionally taxing. So I find these quotes that help me stay grounded in the process. Um, so some things like I journal about is just, it's just like, you have to be very honest with yourself in this section. Um, like begin and admitting that you made mistakes. And one of the quotes I have at the bottom is that mistakes are always forgivable if one has the courage to admit them. So definitely, and, and why journaling is that a piece of paper or for example, my, dig, my digital journal is not gonna criticize me so I can be as honest as I can to it. Another part of my post-trade analysis are my post-market thoughts. And here, I'll gauge a short-term trend, intermediate trend, and long-term trend based on various moving averages like Don in his daily videos. Um, pretty much the same thing based off the 21, 50-day, and 200-day moving averages. This just helps me kind of conceptualize where the market is and give me a general feeling of what I may or may not be, or should or should not be doing. And then I'll note some fundamental factors in the markets. For example, right now, potential persistent inflation, a, rest a restrictive Fed, and then whatever other things are going on in the world. And then finally, I'll note some notable actions from the indexes, sectors, other markets, and breadth. So yesterday, for example, I noted IWM closed below the 200-day simple moving average. Yields initial strong move higher, and then a big bearish engulfing bar downward. The NASI declines continue, and now back below the 10-day simple moving average. And then I had a final note about the NASDAQ percentage stocks above various moving averages. So those are some examples I'll like note down. Continue on, I, I, I think this section was integrated recently and I found it very helpful and in my process just to help me get a better feeling of the markets and stocks really. Um, so there's five things I review here. The data of my last five to 10 trades, my current positions and whether they're showing strength or weakness on balance, 
my weekly watch list and my 21 over 21 list, which Don also does as well in his videos. And then I review the Minter. So we subscribe to Mintervini's private access and they have their own, like in a way, not in a way like model portfolio and focus list. So I'll review those as well to see the overall stock action. And then compiling all five of these variables, then I can better assess what the market is doing and what the stocks are doing. And from this, I evaluate how the climate stocks are doing, and then I'll journal a few thoughts down as well. And then the third part of the section is I ask myself if I've learned, earned the right to play larger. I learned this concept from Stanley Druckenmiller reading his market wizard section. Pretty much every market wizard that I've read about in all the books has some version of this quote. I've heard Paul Tudor Jones, O'Neill, David Ryan, Minervini discuss this concept. Pretty much, we just want to trade at our largest, at our best, and then smallest at our worst. And therefore, we can, tr we can be hev most heavily invested when the mar markets and stocks are working for us and lightly invested when it's not to prevent drawdowns. And this is very much an art and something I'm working relentlessly on, the timing and velocity of progressively exposing myself into the market and progressively selling out. And so finally, I'll, I'll then again decide my personal trading model, which then will be copied into the next day's journal. And I talked about the various colorations that I'll have, red, small positions, orange, judicious pilot positions, or green, stocks are working and be aggressive. And then I'll write down some notes on tactics for tomorrow. And finally, after my screening, I'll compile a list of stocks for my focus list for tomorrow, and I'll predefine my stop loss, my pivot point, which is the buy point, and then my position size. And so the goal of this is to reduce as many variables as possible during execution. Um, the moment the market pre presents opportunities that align with my plan and tactics, I just simply execute and then let the, mar let the market take control because I have no control over whether the stock goes up or down or whether I win or lose. I only have control over when I buy, how much I buy, and when I sell. Um, so yeah, so in conclusion, I've done this trading journal every day and weekend for over 365 days. Um, in my own life, I've been journaling morning and night for over a thousand days in a row, and I've seen tremendous benefit of it. Definitely noticed a, like a significant improvement in my self-awareness, um, which is, I mean, definitely key to success in life and the markets. Um, knowing thyself is really important. And finally, remember your results may not always reflect the actions and effort you've put in. And so I've brought this chart up taken from Atomic Habits and this concept known as the plateau of latent potential. It's something I remind myself of when I put a lot of effort, hard work into a certain activity and I still don't see the results. I just have to know that I'm in that valley of disappointment and I have to keep on going. Because eventually when you hit that one threshold where those two lines intersect, that's when they show up. And oftentimes they show up dramatically and quickly. And uh, next great. week, oh, and one more thing. And next week um, I'll talk about various screens I run on a daily and weekly basis. And folks, listen, I, I, I want to bring something up. So, so, you know, if you, if you, if you take 10 guys that have Don's knowledge, right? Only a couple of them are going to be good because the other ones will break the rules. They'll get emotional. They won't follow their rules. In fact, there's an entire industry in finance called behavioral finance. And it's even for the professionals, not just for retail investors, basically. And it's a study of, you know, given good data, given information or given data, why do people make decisions that, that are not you know, financially sound or whatever? 
And mastering your emotions is key when you're investing in trading and you have to have a plan in advance. And so it's an art. So let me ask you as an investor, when you buy and sell something, do you mark it down? Do you write it down? Do you keep a journal? Do you look at it? Do you go back and, and look at it afterward and do a post-trade analysis? Do you have a, do you know where you would sell it for a stop loss before you buy it? Because if you don't, you're a rookie, okay? The professionals, they know where they would sell it to keep their losses small before they buy it. Then they know how to manage the position throughout the lifespan of that position, which could be very short or could be long. In Revere's opinion, the stock's got to act right to get long-term. In other words, we never buy anything assuming it's going to be long-term. We just look back and go, wow, that stock acted right long enough for us to hold it long-term. Right now, there's not a lot of long-term holdings because it's kind of a choppy market. You've got to be a little more defensive. We hit a primary trend. That could change significantly. Anyway, I just wanted to talk about that because Ted right now is working on a couple beta portfolios to track his progress. And when we watch him, obviously he helps Don with the, with the uh, 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 admin and stuff of our, of our client portfolios. But Ted is extremely good with all the technicals, relative strength, Fibonacci. I mean, he knows all the technicals like a CMT does, right? The thing that he's working on is getting better at the emotional side. That's, 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 hard. that's just as hard as learning all the technicals. So again, I ask you as an investor, how much are you tracking your investments and journaling and doing all that stuff? Because it actually will help a lot more than you thought. After a while, you'll see patterns. After six months or a year of journaling, you'll see that this one emotion or maybe this one setup, you keep kind of getting wiggled out too early or maybe you don't sell soon enough. In any event, I've said my piece. I just want to let the uh, listeners know why that's so important to analyze everything you do around investing and trading, not only before the trade, but afterward. All right, Don, go ahead. I didn't mean to. No, you're, you're right, Dan, and great job, Ted. The, the mental aspect of trading is, is incredibly uh, important, and so is being able to review and go back through history, what you were thinking, what you were seeing at various points in time. Because the, you know, while we we take a look at a chart, and there's a every day there's a high and a low and a close, but you can take them in context to the recent uh, patterns that are forming. But what were you thinking at that time? Uh, it's it's indispensable to be able to go back uh, and do that. I take notes constantly during the day. Uh, I've got uh, just being able to go back at any point in time and know what you were thinking, what stocks you were looking at, how much exposed you were to the market. Uh, and that the tail of the tape helps crystallize my thoughts. And uh, that's something that we review uh, every night in the videos. Uh, and you can see the progression from one day to the next, how resistance was tested or broken or same thing with support, what key levels were happening, what sectors uh, stepped up or broke down. Um, and we're, we're glad to be able to take you, uh, the people that watch our videos on this journey with us and hopefully um, and pull back you know, the curtain, improve. Yeah. yeah, pull back the curtain, see how we do things and um, benefit from it. Uh well, I think we've covered the market pretty much, Dan. Right now, we're uh, we're breaking, working on breaking out of this triangle within an 11-day trading range, and we'll uh, we'll see how today and the week finishes. Folks, listen. If you like what you heard, 
Please tell a friend, tell a neighbor, just send them to revereasset.com. Up in the right-hand corner, there's a subscribe button. They can put in their name and email address, and they'll get this, uh, uh, our, our, our weekly Your Money podcast, as well as Don's daily market insight videos in the evening. Every day the market is open. We won't spam them or reach out to them in any way. It's up to them to reach out to us if they want a complimentary portfolio review or just a topic or a stock they want us to to, to show on the on the podcast. In fact, right next to the subscribe button is a contact us button. It shoots me an email directly to me and you can send me a message and we can, uh, we'll respond back. Um, you can always, always, always call us old school at 855-REAL-WEALTH and you can email any of us, dan at revereasset.com, don at revereasset.com, michael, ted, or connor at revereasset.com. And we'll talk to you next week on your money. It's not how much you make in the markets. It's how much of that you can keep. Your Money Radio podcast covers general topics and investment ideas for research. It is for educational and entertainment purposes only and is not meant to be investment advice. If you want or need investment advice, contact your own advisors or reach out to Revere Asset Management for individual investment advice. For more information, just go to revereasset.com.